Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I think we're all familiar with the old statement that there are only two things that are certain in life. What are those two things? Death and taxes. That's right. I'd like to add a third. I'd like to add a third. And that is sin. Uh, Not that we like that idea. But it is almost, it's just an ever-present reality in the world in which we live. And far too often a present reality in our own personal lives. And so how do we handle this? How do we deal with this kind of thing, you know? The world would tell us that the way we deal with this is stop calling it sin. Right? It's It's a mistake. Maybe it wasn't the best choice. But it's not sin. Uh, well, let me say this. Sin is always a mistake. Okay, but not all mistakes are sin. <laughs> so we should call it sin. Uh, or the way a lot of people uh, deal with this, or maybe they don't deal with it, say, depending on their religious background, is they just feel tremendous guilt all the time. They feel shame. You know, and they're stuck with that, and then they, they view themselves as this is just the way I am, and, and uh, that's a lie from Satan as well. And so we have these extremes. You know, well, it's just not a sin, just do whatever you want, don't worry about it, or it's, yeah, it's like it is, you are a really bad person. <laughs> uh, but God tells us the truth about sin, and that's what we need to know, isn't it? Father, thank you that you do tell us the truth in your word about all the things that we need to know to live a life that's godly, to live a life that's pleasing to you. And I pray that your spirit will uh, teach us now, show us truth from your word, but also truth about ourselves, Lord, in light of your word. And I pray, Father, we'd open our hearts and minds to you to hear from you those things we need today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's do a really quick review of um, where we've come from in the last couple weeks here. Let's talk about what is sin. When we say sin, it's not just a mistake. Sin is any conscious actions or intentional thoughts that are contrary to what God has revealed as His will for us in Scripture. So if God has said something uh, doesn't belong in our lives and we let it into our lives, we are sinning. If, if we, He says we ought to do something and we don't, we're sinning. If he says that, that we ought to be, our motivation ought to be love and it isn't, we're sinning, right? So there's lots of ways that, that we can sin. But it, it's, it's the idea, it's contrary to what God has revealed to us in his word. Okay? All right, then we've seen, uh, kind of reached a few conclusions along the way here. And the first one is that all that God put off limits and declared to be sinful are things that are not good for me. That's, you know, everything that he lists is don't do this is because it isn't good for us. He didn't just arbitrarily pick things to be sins. Oh, this is a sin and that's not. No, he, you know, he, he made things to operate a certain way. And so he calls those things sin, which means that my best possible life lies within God's boundaries, not outside them. And you just really need to settle that in your life, that God's best for you is always within his boundaries. It's always within the guidelines that's not even the right word to use, but it's the, it's, it's the way he has shown us things in Scripture. Okay? Last week we saw that sin is deceitful and damaging. You know, it lies to us about what it's going to do for us. 
and then leaves us in a worse place. And I really still think that one of the, the greatest uh, examples of that is, is the use of drugs that, you know, not as, not as medicine, but, you know, to medicate ourselves and to numb our pain or, or whatever. Uh, you know, the idea is we find ourselves with a problem and it's overwhelming and we don't know if we, how we're going to deal with it. And so then the tendency is, I want to escape that. And that's what drugs do, right? People take the drugs and do they escape the, numb the, or the pain for a little while? Do they numb the pain for a while? Yeah. Does it leave them in a better place or a worse place? A worse place. That's what sin does to us. It lies to us. It says, this is going to be what you want. This is going to do for you what you think you need. But it doesn't, and then it leaves us in a worse place than we were before. And then so we said last week, you've got to be alert to the downward progression of sin so you can see it and stop it. And we can do that. And so let's take a, uh, do a quick review here of that downward progression of sin. Uh, we talked about this last week. James says that it starts, we all have natural desires, and natural desires are not sinful. Right? We're made people that way, right? We get hungry, we have sexual desire, we have desire to sleep, we have all sorts of desires, a desire for pleasure in many ways. Okay, so we have those natural desires. It says, but what happens is we get tempted when we are drawn away by those desires. So I have the desire and then I'm, hmm, I, I want to fulfill this desire and I'm kind of drawn away from where I ought to be. I haven't sinned yet because this is just, Something that's happening to you. You are experiencing it. Okay? And then what comes along is Satan or the world system or our own old fleshly nature entices us. And, and remember I said I think the best way to describe that, for those who are just listening later, uh, I'll explain this in a minute, but enticement is like this. Right? Come on. Come here. And I'm doing the little finger thing here. You know, saying, beckoning, okay, come on. That's what it does to us. And, and if, if we spend time, we look at it and consider it, and it looks better. Remember, this is what happened with Adam and Eve, right? Satan says, oh, this is fruit is actually good for you. It's not bad for you. you know, God's holding out on you. There's good things to have here. And she looked about it and thought about it, and Adam stood there with her and did the same, and then they were enticed. And then what happens at some point is sin is conceived, it says. And so it's like conception has occurred. And once, once conception occurs, birth is on the way, right? Just a matter of time. Sometimes this could be immediate. Sometimes it might be percolating a long time. Conceived. And then that brings forth sin, it says, and then sin brings forth death. And the idea is all the corruption, all the rottenness, all the junk that goes along with it, once again, where we thought we were going to be in a better place, but we're actually in a worse place, Okay. So we want to sell it. So that is the progression. And so we said, well, how do we deal with this? Well, if we look here, natural desires, nothing wrong with that. Being drawn away is a normal experience, but we need to just say, wait a minute, no, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going God's way. And especially if we see an enticement, that's the time to run. Okay? If you, if you see, um, well, I, I see this for what it is. I, I just got to get away from it. Okay? And so we got to stop it here because once it's conceived, it's giving birth. Okay. All right, so let's, here's where we need to fight this. Temptation comes in this drawing away and the enticement. This is where we need to learn to see it and, and say it. Because the reality is this, that we need to learn to fight the battle against sin where we can win it. Go ahead, Eduardo, if you would. This is, we need to learn that. How do we do that? Uh, because if you wait until sin has been conceived, 
you know, you've, you've looked too long, you've pondered too long, you've thought, and you've talked yourself into it, or let yourself be talked into it, and it isn't always conscious. Sometimes this is a slow process. Sometimes it happens real fast. But we've got to learn to fight it where we can win it. And that's in the area of where we're feeling drawn away, and that's when we see enticements. That's where we have to fight it. So, how do we do that? Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because, see, God provides us a way of escape from temptation. When temptation comes, he provides us a way to step back and say, oh, wait a minute, no, 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 that's not where I'm going. I don't want to go there. God doesn't want me to go there. I don't want to go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul is warning the Corinthians. He's saying, hey, look in the Old Testament. What happened to God's people there? You need to learn some things from there. You need to pay attention because you can fall into sin just like they did. Don't do that. And then he gives us this really insightful and encouraging statement in verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, so let's work our way through this. Uh, first, the idea is this, temptation. This word temptation, this translated temptation, really has two different ideas, but they're always linked with each other. One sense is temptation is the idea of a testing, okay? You know, you are put in a position where your faith is being tested, where your character is being tested, with how you look at life and process life, it's being tested, okay? This can often be like really hard things when we talk about our church family, people who have lost loved ones. Well, there's a testing there. I'm not saying God's actively testing, but they're being tested, right? What's, what, what am I going to believe at this point? How am I going to respond? And so... This idea of testing is one idea, and the other idea is what we normally think of when we think of temptation, which is that allure to sin, right? The pull to sin. Now, hear how these two things are linked together. The idea of this testing puts you in a situation where you are doing what? Making a decision. Am I going to trust God or not? Am I going to believe what he says and live by it or not? So, testings bring with them what? Temptations. Okay? And temptations, in a sense, are always a test for us as well. Because, wait a minute, I'm, I'm feeling drawn away, or wow, I'm being enticed here. What am I going to do? So it's a testing of my relationship with God on, on my side, and uh, my character, whether I believe God, and walking in the Spirit, all of those kinds of things. So you see how they're interlinked, okay? But so let's just focus in here on this idea of he says there's no temptation taking you. He's talking primarily for us about whether it's in testing or whether it's not in testing as such. It's that, that decision I got to make. Am I going to sin here or not? Am I going to believe God here or not? Am I going to put my faith in myself instead of God? Uh, uh, you know, all those things. So good news. I guess it's good news. There, any temptation that you face, he says, is common to man, to human beings. So you're not in this alone. Take comfort in that today. We're all sitting here in the ER room, waiting room, right? We all got issues. We all got 
problems that we're tempted with. So any temptation you can, by the way, so this means you can never excuse yourself and say, well, nobody was ever tempted like me. Okay, no, we've all been there. Okay, there's no temptation taking you except it's common to man, but God is faithful. Isn't that good news? God is faithful and he's not going to allow something to happen in your life. So let me um, encourage you with this. Try to be encouraged with this. You know, the way God works in our world, a lot of people, uh, sometimes Christians who just don't understand yet, but very often people who aren't Christians but would say they believe in God, believe that God is always, has his hands in the world doing things, making things happen, doing this, doing that, causing every little thing directly, you know, that he's, he's doing all that. And I just don't see that that's the way the scripture presents it. I see that God created the world and he created uh, natural laws in the world that function the way they do. And he made us as human beings with the uh, freedom to make choices. We do make choices about how we're going to respond. And then sin came into the world and he, it brought all the mess. And, but he's letting us live this out. And it's putting us in places where we have to make choices. Do we believe God or not? But understand this that God can absolutely intervene at any point he chooses, right? And one of the places the Bible tells us he intervenes is that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to respond rightly to. I mean, you think about it, right? If you have a, a younger child and you put him in a situation where his favorite cookies are there, and you put him in that situation long enough and hard enough and keep adding the cookies with no supervision, et cetera, et cetera. He knows he's not supposed to eat the cookie, but what's he going to do? Seriously, right? At some point, he's going to eat the cookie, unless his dad gets to him first, okay? Because um, it's more than he can handle. And this is one of our things that we do as parents. We try to protect our children, right, that they aren't in situations that are greater than they can handle. Well, God does the same for us. Now, let me say this. When we're talking about this temptation as testing in our lives, let God letting us go through situations, he will absolutely let you experience more than you can handle on your own. On your own. Okay? Because that's the whole point of this. Even facing of temptation as a draw to sin. Once again, he will let us be tempted beyond what we were able in our own strength. But the idea is if we will submit ourselves to God, and we're going to talk more about how we do this in a minute, but we, you know, we, we lean toward the Lord, we do that, that uh, there's no temptation we will experience that we can't respond properly to with his grace and his spirit at work in our lives. That's good news. So what does that tell you? Every time, by the way, anybody besides me ever felt, find yourself facing a temptation that you said, this is, wow, I can't deal with this. This is bigger than I thought, you know. I mean, I, I don't see any way out of this, right? I know. Anybody? Okay, I was going to say, some of you don't want to raise your hands. But, yeah, we have, right? It seems overwhelming. But what I need to tell myself at that point is, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That is a lie. God would not let me be tempted greater than I would be able to trust him and respond rightly to. So it kind of takes away that excuse, doesn't it? All right, so, but I need to believe that in that moment. All right, um, so 
There's no temptation taking you except as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, right? But will with the temptation make what? A way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now that, or endure it, I think it says in the New King James. That word endure means to bear up under. So this is this idea. If you find yourself in a time of testing, and it's hard, and, and, and you know, the decisions are, are hard, and, and you're really being pressured, am I going to choose to believe God or not? Am I going to respond the way God says or not? Am I going to step out of faith and trust God or not? You have all of that, and it seems like it just doesn't let up, and you, got, you keep working at it. This way of escape will enable you to bear up under it by God's grace. Okay? And then certainly with temptation to sin, the idea is that you don't have to sin. He's going to make it so you can make a choice where you don't have to sin. Now, how does he do this? What is this way of escape? Um, it, it's interesting. You, know, you, you watch different videos and how they're made. Occasionally, someone makes a video where they, they put labels on things as the video shows up, right? Maybe the name of the place or, or a motion word or whatever. You know, it, it, wouldn't it be kind of nice if, if, if we're going through life and and all of a sudden temptation is there, we feel it, and then all of a sudden up pops this label, way of escape. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. But God has nonetheless provided us ways of escape. And, and what I want you to see is that I, I think this way of escape is something that he is providing all the time. It isn't that we're just living life in a sin-cursed world and all the junk that comes our way and pushes against us and draws us and all kind of stuff. And so we're finally at that last moment, right before you sin, God says, oh, no, here's a way of escape. God is providing ways of escape every day for us, way in advance. So if you can picture this idea, think of uh, you're driving down the interstate and it says, bridge out ahead, 10 miles. And there are five exits between here and there. And you drive past the first one. And the hill gets steeper. And drive past the second one, it gets steeper. And then the car starts going faster. And the third one, the fourth one, all of a sudden, wait, 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 the fifth one. We missed it. Right? Because we haven't been paying attention and taking advantage of the way of escape. Because how many, in this illustration, how many ways of escape were there? Five. See? And the first one was, you know, right after the sign saying 10 miles from now. That's not a big deal. I got plenty of time. Take the way of escape now. So here are some ways of escape that are available to us ahead of time. First one is gaining a biblical worldview. Learning to look at the world the way God says it is. And by the way, you do not naturally do that. And what happens to us as Christians, that we, we, we were unsaved, we did not know the Lord, we, we tried to make sense of things on our own, a lot of our thinking didn't match what God said, some of it might have, but we were a mess. And so then we get saved, and now we begin this process of being transformed by the renewing of our mind as we start to understand what God says. And so what we want to do is be willing to look at everything in life and be ready and willing to change anything that God shows us we're messed up on. Don't just assume when you became a Christian that you already understood how to live like a Christian. You really got to work on getting a biblical worldview. And you get that from 
uh, being in the Word yourself, learning and studying it, listening to things, maybe reading books, making it a point to be to, with the church when the Word's being taught, all of these kinds of things, fellowshipping with other Christians, talking about life with other Christians. Why? Because we want to more and more see the world the way God says it is. Because guess what? The way God says it is, is the way it is. All right? So we want to gain a biblical worldview. Do you see how this is a way of escape? Even, what, even being here this last three Sundays uh, and, and thinking about sin and what God says about it and how do I, you know, recognize the, the temptations and the, the all of that kind of stuff, you're working on gaining a biblical worldview. And so being here and working on this is a way of escape for something down the line. Okay? So gaining a biblical worldview, working at that. Daily surrender to the Lord. Sometimes there's this moment-by-moment moment surrender to the Lord, right? But it's, it's acknowledging, you are Lord, I am not. Uh, I am going to say yes to you as we, you know, we surrender to the Lord. We say yes to him about whatever he says. And we work on developing that as our approach to life. Then there's learning how to walk in the Spirit. That's a nice phrase in the Bible, but what does it mean? How do we live that out? And uh, I've been working on this a long time, and I still don't have it quite all figured out, but I do know this. That walking in the Spirit means that I am first and foremost surrendered. I'm saying, okay, God, I want what you want for me. You know my struggles. You know the things that come my way, the temptation. But God, I want what you want for me. That is, I want to do what you say to do. Okay? Uh, and then it's, what does God say in his word? The Holy Spirit will lead you in ways that are consistent with God's word. You understand what I'm saying, right? We, in other words, we don't always, you know, get to figure out what the Holy Spirit's doing, but we read the Word, and then we're, you know, thinking about that and pondering it, and then down the line, something happens in life, and, and even if we aren't conscious of it, what we've learned and how we think, now we look at it differently. We're walking in the Spirit, because those are the words of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and so He's working, and so we're doing that. And then what we discover is that as we pursue our, you know, this biblical worldview and surrender the Lord and our relationship with Him and walking the Spirit, that we will be going along in life and something will come before us, some decision or some issue or whatever, and you just get a sense. Warning. A little light goes off on the dashboard of your life, right? Warning, something's not right here. And if that's in line with the Word of God, then that's the Holy Spirit. If it's not in line with God's Word, then that was just you. <laughs> or somebody else's idea. But when it's in line with the Word of God, something's not right, a warning here. Or maybe it said, do something. You need to respond now. Go here, go there. And so we find that the Lord does that for us. But it's, it's all part of pursuing Him, a relationship with Him, living by His Word, being surrendered to Him, and, and then we're in a position where we can start to hear, hear the voice of God. Have you, you, is there anybody who calls you? Maybe you don't know who it is, but you hear their voice and you know who it is. Right? Okay. You recognize the voice. Jesus said, his sheep follow him. And as they follow him, they learn to recognize his voice. And so as you're pursuing your relationship with God, you're going to, and from the word, uh, this is the word of what? What do we call it? The word of God. God. So we hear God's voice here. And so then 
when the Holy Spirit prompts us, we can recognize the voice because it matches what he says in his word. Okay? But so you see how advantageous this, of a way of escape this is, learning to walk in the Spirit? In fact, learning to walk in the Spirit is so powerful that the Apostle Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So man, we need to pursue this, don't we? This is a way of escape for temptations you don't even know are coming. Okay, so learning how to walk in the Spirit. Building godly habits into your life. This kind of just goes along with all the stuff we've been saying. Spending time in the Word, talking with God, uh, you know, fellowshipping with other Christians where you're talking about life in light of God's Word, uh, being here for teaching, other stuff you might do, but develop some godly habits. Don't find, let your, find yourself in a situation where you're saying many, many times, like I have, oh yeah, I need to do that. And a year from now, I'm still saying what? Oh yeah, I need to do that. But the idea is that I need to, so I need to do it now. I need to work on building those godly habits into our lives. And then we have to do this. You know, I said the world doesn't call sin, sin. It calls it a mistake or a bad judgment. Or, I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, politicians who have got caught cheating on their wives in terrible ways. It's always terrible, but you know what I mean? Terrible ways. And then they, they somehow rather get their wife to stand there with them. And he says, you know, I made a mistake. You sinned. That's what you need to say, right? But I'm sorry, I kind of got caught up in the moment. Um, <laughs> refusing to rationalize poor and unwise choices. And this is what the world tells us to do. Well, I know, but. Yeah, I know I shouldn't have done that. But. What does the word but mean? It means disregard everything I just said. I know it's a sin, but. So we, we just can't do that. We got to own up to it. Okay, we got to acknowledge it. We'll talk more about that in a little while. All right, so God provides a way of escape. Sin is a, a temptation is a common experience for all of us. God provides ways of escape. He provides it in advance. But this kind of brings us to this reality. It's Hebrews 12, 1 says, he talk, the author talks about the sin which so easily besets us. In, in King James, ensnares, traps us. And how does it ensnare us? Easily. <laughs> and so we find ourselves dealing with sin. What's going on? You know, I thought we were saved. Are we saints if we've received Jesus as Savior? Are we saints? Yes. Yes, we are. So what's the deal? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. That's page 1300 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. And if you don't have your own Bible, we encourage you to follow along. In that Bible, page 1300. <clears throat> now, when theologians do their thing and look at this passage of Scripture, some people will say, oh, I think this is a, a picture of an uh, unsaved person. And others say, no, it's a picture of a saved person. It's Paul's experience. All I would say to you is that I think clearly what's going on here in Romans chapter 7 is the Apostle Paul is trying to talk to us about the way we are by nature. Um, <clears throat> saved and unsaved, but particularly saved here, we're going to see. Because we find a person who wants to do what's right and is tormented by the fact that they don't. 
Okay? And so this whole idea is, is when we try to live on our own, this is where we end up. Romans 7, verse 15. He says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, what I want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Anybody besides me ever found yourself with uh, uh, some sin that, that you thought you had really kind of escaped from, right, at some point in your life, and then all of a sudden you, you find yourself in how to get there, and you said, I, I hate this. Anybody hate finding yourself there besides me? I hate finding myself there. And that's what he's saying. What I hate that I do. How has that happened? Verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I say I shouldn't do it. I agree with the law that is good. Okay, so what God says is right. Verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Say, what? How many of you are old enough to remember Flip Wilson? His famous line when he was being what, the, the character, what? The devil made me do it. Now, I would say to you that we have to be very careful because that's that rationalization and, you know, justifying our sin. And so we can't just say, well, I didn't do it. Sin did it. It sinned in me. But there is a reality here in our lives which we need to understand. Okay? So he's setting this up for us. I, uh, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, and he says this, that is in my flesh, Nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For, good, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Okay, he said that a minute ago. I find in a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. The one who wants to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So let's see if we can make some sense of this. Okay, so let's go to that uh, diagram there. All right, before we receive Christ as Savior, and I apologize to those of you in the back, it's, the print's a little small, it's a little hard to see, but hang in there with me. Before you receive Christ, this is a description of us. We have our, our spirit, that's the innermost part of our being. It's, it's our identity, okay? Then we have our soul, and out here in our soul we have like our will, our mind, our emotions, and then we have our body, okay? Now, sin, the curse of sin affected everything in the world, including us. So before we came to Christ, in our spirit we were dead and we were evil there. We were selfish, self-centered, self-focused, not loving, not holy, all of those things. That's the way we were deep down in our spirit, and that is our original identity. Go to the next one, if you would. Now, what we find then is so evil is present, isn't it? And this evil is not just in here, it's in our, our bodies, our soul. We are affected by sin. Evil is present, and it matches What's going on inside? Because we don't know the Lord. We haven't been born again. Our sins aren't forgiven. He hasn't moved in. We are lost, right? It is dark inside. And that's the way we are, okay? Evil is presence, working its way out into our lives. Now, we receive Christ as Savior. What happens? The Holy Spirit moves in. 
We are born again and we are given a new identity. And deep down here in our spirit, there is no more sin. There's no more selfishness. Uh, we are very much like our older spiritual brother Jesus there. Okay? This is why we say we are saints. He has made us holy. Deep down inside. Now, the rest of me is still a mess when I get saved. The rest of you is still a mess. And you're still working your way out of that mess, okay? But I want you to see, so this is happening. And so now this new identity is working its way out into your life. You are making changes. You're here today trying to say, God, how, how do I live this life? What, you know, you're working on it. And, and so God's spirit in you with your new identity is beginning to help you to work and understand that. But notice something, what? Evil is still present. But it's not who I am anymore. I'm the deepest part of my being. Evil is present. Let me give you a little encouragement here. I've said it before. You might remember it. But three things happen because of what Jesus did for us when we received Christ as Savior. And the first is that he paid for the penalty of sin, didn't he? He paid for all of that. You know, we, we can't we fix that. He did. He paid the penalty for our sins. All right? And the second thing is he freed us from the controlling power of sin. In other words, we, this break, see, the fact that we're no longer corrupt on the inside, we can now make a different choice. We can learn. We can grow. We can make better choices. He's freed us from that controlling power of sin. The really good news is this, is that there's coming a day when he will free us from the presence of sin. Evil is present with me. There's coming a day when he will free me from that presence. And that will happen either when I, like Everett did, step out of this life into life with the Lord, and now I'm freed from the presence of evil, or he comes back for all of us and we're all set free from the presence of evil. But in the meantime, what? Evil is present with us. But Paul is saying, it's not the real, and this is not a cop-out. This is important. It's not the real me who wants to do this. It's evil that's present, sin that's still there, that I'm having to learn how to believe God and live out my true identity, not go back to the old. Go on to the next one, if you would. So what we find is we have this ongoing conflict in our lives. Our minds are being changed, our decisions are being changed, our habits are being changed, but evil is still present, so there's always this conflict. In the passage where Paul says, walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, he says there's this ongoing conflict between the spirit and the flesh. So, do you understand why you still experience temptation? you understand why from time to time you buy into the lie? It's because evil is still present. Now, here's a really big point I want you to take from what is said here. Go ahead. That God makes a clear distinction between the believer and the pull to sin that he experiences. Okay? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? In the word here, in chapter 7, is it quite clear, Paul says, that as Christians, we experience a pull to things that aren't right? Yes. We do. It's there. But Paul says, that's not me. That's evil that's present with me. And so God is making a clear distinction between the believer and that pull to sin. 
The pull to sin is not the believer's identity. It isn't part of that. And so, it's so important to understand, to grow in, and believe, and live out your true identity in Christ. You've got to understand this difference, because if you don't, what are you going to say? When that temptation comes again, you're going to say, this is just the way I am. And when you say that, what happens to you? You're beat. You are now defeated. And you will be until you stop believing that. Okay? It isn't just we are. Remember, we said this in our sermon series, which we're coming back to next week, but on, on this idea of being saints, that you're no longer a sinner trying to become a saint. You're a saint who's learning not to sin. Remember, because we saw the diagram. You change. You are pure and holy within. And now you're learning how to live that way. You're learning how to think that way. You're learning how to make decisions that way. And so... Um, it just this is really crucial that you see this. All right, now let's look at a passage of scripture and see how this matters. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, and he goes on with the list. The list is not our issue today. Neither the sexually immoral nor anybody else on this list will inherit the kingdom of God. So what does this say? It says if you are an immoral person, sexually immoral person, you're not going to heaven. Hmm. And it goes on through the list. If you're this, you're not going to heaven. If you're this, you're not going to heaven. If you're this, you're not going to heaven. But this is who you are. And he says this, and such were some of you. Key word there is what? Were. Such were some of you. Now, we know something about the Corinthians. We know that the Corinthians were struggling to live holy lives. The Corinthians were struggling to get it together. So guess what? There were people who were sexually immoral people who got saved and are no longer sexually immoral people, but they're trying to learn how to live like a moral person. Does that make sense? Just as we say you're no longer a saint, you're no longer a sinner, Trying to be a saint, instead you are a saint learning not to sin. Okay, you, you get, if you were a sexually immoral person, if that's who you were, and by the way, haven't we all known some people who would say, that person is a sexually immoral person? Okay, could be us, could have been us. But anyway, if you are, you're no longer a sexually immoral person trying to figure out how not to be, you are, no, you are now a moral person trying to figure out how to live that out. Do you see the difference? And she could still struggle with sexual immorality. And outwardly, it might not look much different from one moment to the next. But that God works. And he changes us from the inside out. And that is crucial to know. He's changing us from that core of our being way down inside. Okay? It's not your identity. When you get saved, you, it changes your whole identity, who you are deep down inside and where, who you're going to be for all eternity. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's what happens in our spirits when we are born again. That old, corrupt, sinful nature has died there. And then we have brand new, holy, righteous, loving, like Jesus, in our deep in our being. And we're trying to live this out. And along the way, Evil is still present. And we have a conflict. All right? That's okay. The fact that if you're struggling, that's a good sign. 
that means you, there's a conflict there and you're working on it. Now, here's what I want you to see why this matters so much. It's because of this, that this world, this sinful world, will bring desires into your life that you know do not belong and that you wish you didn't have. That sounds like Romans 7, right? And the world is going to tell you to embrace those desires as your very identity. And I say, you do not believe the world. Believe God. Because if you believe the world, it all snowballs in the wrong direction. You have to believe God. And then this afternoon, you have to what? Believe God. And tonight, when you go to bed, you have to believe God. And the next time you sin and fail, you have to believe God. The next time you make a good choice, you have, you see what I'm saying? Let's believe what God says about us. All right, let's go to the next one there, if you would. So, this is our situation, the sin which so easily besets us. That's a reality for us. It just is. Good news. God has and will forgive us when we sin. 1 John chapter 1. Let's turn there. Page 1388 in the Bible. It's in the chairs there. We're almost done here. So hang in there just a little bit longer. 1 John 1 verse 8. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so that's what the world wants you to do. Don't do that. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right. Um, I thought we are already forgiven. Aren't we already forgiven as Christians? This really isn't a trick question. Aren't we already forgiven as Christians? Yes. So why do we need forgiveness again? See, the, this, there's a couple different kinds, at least two different kinds of forgiveness. One is what we call a judicial forgiveness. Okay, it's like official. And this is when you got saved, you officially, every sin's forgiven. Done. No more hell to your account. However, there's something we might call relational forgiveness. And this is like this. There's times when my kids, you know, would disobey me. And, you know, then we get beyond that. They're forgiven. But the relationship is strained because they still aren't owning up to it, right? Or they still aren't. It isn't until they finally come and say, Dad, I'm so sorry. I, I, that didn't belong. I knew I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. That the relationship is totally restored. Now, on my side, guess what? The relationship wasn't broken. But on their side, they what? They needed to come and own up to it. So they could experience that forgiveness. As long as you're not owning up to it, not being honest about it, you're saying you can't feel forgiven. You're not going to experience the forgiveness. You're judicially forgiven, but not that relationship is strained. Um, all right. So what do we have to do? It says confess our sins. This word, you know, depending on what your religious background is, where you're coming from, you might think this is some sort of religious procedure or something like that. It's not. This word confess, uh, the basic meaning means to agree with and to say the same thing as. So the idea is we go to God and we say the same thing about this that he does. It's what? It was sin. It's not right. It doesn't belong in my life. 
So we're coming to agree with God. It's not about specific words you say. So, but if we confess our sins, we come and acknowledge our sins, agree with God about them. He is faithful. There's that statement again. And just, he does what's right, to forgive us our sins. <sighs> Relationship back, and he goes beyond that, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We tend to, when we sin, maybe we do confess it quick and we go away and we feel like we're walking away a little dirty. God says, no, 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 let me clean you up here. And he restores us fully to him in that way. All right, so, three things I want to leave you with here today. First is that your struggles do not, your struggles with sin do not define your identity. They just don't, okay? Unless you aren't saved. If you've never received Jesus as Savior, you're stuck with your identity that is sinful. But if you acknowledge that you sinned against the holy God and your sins have separated you from him, uh, then you're in a place where you can acknowledge that to God and trust Jesus as Savior because he died for your sins and rose again. Trust him as your Savior. And so if you haven't done that, boy, you need to do that. But if you have done that, your struggles with sin no longer identify you. They aren't your identity. Second thing, you can make progress in learning not to sin. I mean, think about all the things we've talked about. Can you make progress? Are there ways to make progress? Sure. Progress doesn't mean perfection. Progress means progress. You can make progress. Now, having said all of this, i got to finish with this, and that is that you need to take your sin very seriously because it really matters. Don't say, ah, I'm all sad. No, no, it really, really matters. And... That's going to lead us back into 1 Corinthians next Sunday, where we're talking about being saints, okay? Learning how to become what God has already declared that we are. If you have any questions about this stuff, I'd love to talk to you. Maybe something wasn't clear that I said, or you have questions about your own relationship with the Lord, or whether you even have one, please, we'd love to talk to you about it. Even those of you watching, or maybe listening at another time, we'd love to talk. Just reach out to us, and we'll be glad to spend some time with you. Father, we thank you for your word and how practical and to the point you are. I pray, Lord, you would remind us of these things that we need to remember as we go along through life. Our desire is to live the right way, Father. Our desire is to say no to sin and yes to you. And so help us, Lord, to grow in that. Sharpen our understanding about it. And I pray, Lord, we would yield our will to you in it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.